0: So this might be a first for us Riley. Um this topic actually isn't all that full of controversy. Uh what do you think about Amazon actually bringing back the second phase of Prime Day? Honestly, I'm not
1: surprised by it. Um I figured if as to how well they did last year with it, it seemed like yeah. a good marketing move to bring it back. Um so I'm honestly glad that they did do it again, just because maybe for people like me that didn't get a chance to utilize Amazon Prime Day, what was that, I think a month ago? Exactly. Um, yes. To get another chance, so I'm really glad they pulled this one.
0: Yeah, and that and that's the cool thing is like, I mean, I know people theoretically approach it as, oh, okay, I'm gonna have more money saved up for you know around Christmas time, or actually would be Thanksgiving right. time. Yeah. But um yeah some people really don't have like the finances in place around July or June in the in that area. Exactly. So yeah, it would make sense. I agree with you to actually bring that back and you know implement it during the fall season. Now I we don't have specific dates yet, is that correct? I think it's just in October as no. of right now. Yeah,
1: that's what one of the higher ups said. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But it's still good news though. Yeah, for sure. And uh obviously Amazon makes plenty of money off of it, but it's nice to have some deals for the prime members. Yep. And I guess if you wanna subscribe for a month, you can get some discounts. But uh yeah, <laughs> not bad. That'll at be all. something definitely look forward to for shoppers. Yeah,
1: it'll be really exciting to have that back for a small period of time. I don't think if you notice this, JD, on WWDC that happened this year, the end call button was moved during a showing of uh, the customizable contact posters, and uh, that's when Craig was showing it off. Right. And I didn't notice it, actually, but apparently, according to uh, sources, uh, a lot of people have seen it, and... It is actually legitimate now. Apple's come out and said it, that they are going, or I guess considering it, I'm not sure if they're, they're going to for sure, but uh, moving the end call button to the bottom right. Uh, this reason, which I think is a fair reason because of what they're doing with the contact posters, uh, is because if the end call button was where it is now, it would be right in front of the face. Uh, of where your contact poster would be mm, yeah so i'm kind of in in the middle of like it's a it's okay but it's not like the best outcome
0: well to start off with uh <laughs> clearly this is first world problems um, yeah oh oh yeah for the sure the end button is moving so everyone hang on to your seats cuz it's going to get you know pretty crazy um a lot of people are upset with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm they not, are pretty but... livid about it so uh I think it's just from the actual article we sourced this it mentioned how you know it, it'll be muscle memory and it'll just Mhm. I kind of have to agree with that to a certain extent. However, um you kind of have to expect that because if Apple's going to implement some new features and such, uh there could be some changes. Obviously, we saw this with watchOS 10 where they changed some of the buttons and even for me, I'm still getting used to that. My muscle memory isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. So Yeah i think it'll take some time do i like it uh i don't really think it matters to me necessarily you no know, it's not just really me either things- as long as because uh the snapshot just showed that it was moved it didn't actually show that another button was gonna be there right
1: yeah i think it was just uh switched or not switched yeah it was just moved on the bottom
0: right okay so it's not like i'm going to accidentally hit another button it just means it's going to be an empty space so and the fact that it's still red which thankfully they didn't change the color uh i don't really think that will make it too much more difficult to adjust so yeah i think in my opinion maybe maybe you might see this differently in my opinion i think this is just being kind of a little bit of an overreaction from people so yeah i would agree though I would agree. Yeah. I, I wasn't exactly
1: upset with this. Um, and I don't claim to be. It just is It's something that
0: was, you know, controversial from people. And so yeah. we worth citing just because if you do notice it, then, you know, you have to get used <laughs> to it.
1: And that's one of the yeah, things, obviously, exactly. with every update that comes from Apple, if they change a lot of the way that people are wired to use uh, their iPhone, then, you know, it's going to have to get
0: they're gonna have to get used to it obviously and that's true that you know what you bring up a good point because this is actually pr- very unconventional of Apple because they don't really move away from things that they've been doing for years I mean yeah actually that's of, that's true <laughs> their unsung the trademark you know right so it, it is kind of an odd thing to to have them do that but at they the, hold traditions yes at the same time I, I do like the contact card you know having a picture there and such. yes so, I did enjoy um, that actually yeah. Yeah. So I, I think people will get over it. I, I I think even the article said something about that, like, you know, after a month or two of iOS 17 being there, you know, people are just going to kind of forget it and get used to mm-hmm. it. So, but uh, yeah. actually with Apple, we uh, wanted to actually jump back for a moment to an old case that was taking place between Apple and Epic, which is actually still going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, evidently for now, the court has sided with Apple. It seems as kind of like a temporary move uh, that they will yes. still be implementing that uh, development charge um, with Epic. Well, actually any developer currently are out there. So um, again, I'm still, it, this is kind of the other side of kind of what we talked about on our Wednesday episode with Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. I do feel like there is an issue with what's going on with, you know, how Apple is approaching this. Now, obviously, with Musk, he wants to adjust everything.
1: Right. In this
0: case, it's more so internal payments and being redirected outside so they can bypass that 30% uh, fee. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I still would side with Epic, though. I think they should be allowed to at least do that. Um. Yeah. To a certain because I mean, look at look at what Musk did. He actually, you know, said, "Okay, there's an online payment that you can do that wouldn't be as high as iOS." So I guess it just kind of depends.
1: Yeah, it really does, and um, I I would agree with you. I think I can't remember exactly what I said last time, <laughs> but I I feel like it is kind of snide almost of Apple just to be like, no. <laughs> you're not going to get this and it's it's a fair i think it's fair that if a um developer wants to you know have their own personal way of doing payments for their customers i think yeah. that should be allowed um could there be people that might say well that takes a lot out of apple's pay uh, that they, they're they supposed to be making off of those apps. And yes, I could see that. But at the same time, if you want people to feel more comfortable with making apps in the future, I f- feel like this is one thing you're going to have to allow. Otherwise, it's going to be limited and there's going to be a lot of developers that are going to be like, I don't really think this is worth it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, so. if there was
0: like an option in the you know payment screen that said support the developer directly... And that would just be the you know notion of, yeah. okay, this is directly going towards Epic. That would work. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you just wanted to have like a quick Apple Pay thing going on, then that's fine too. So I just feel like there should be some options available. Um, I agree. Obviously, yeah. this will be kind of this funky thing where it kind of unfolds and we we'll still have to wait and see. Because it does, like I said, look like it's going to be like a temporary hold for right now. But um, yeah.
1: yeah. we will obviously update you guys on uh, how that uh, kind of plays out in the next um, year or so. A few months. Uh, however, however long yeah. it might be. Year. <laughs> um, for sure. Listen, we don't like beating a dead horse 10 times in a row, but we just can't help it. Okay. Disney Plus... Has joined uh, the Netflix mantra, if you will, of password crackdown. And they've also increased their prices as well. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the CEO said it's not going to be right now. But in about 2025, they're going to make sure that this whole, you know, family sharing subscription with Disney is sorted out and that there won't be. It won't be happening at all. Obviously, people are up in arms. I don't blame them. Yeah. Um, and it's, I have the basically the same thoughts as I do with Netflix. I mean, th- this has always been a thing where you have your own account and you should be able to share it. And maybe I think there should be some limitations. I'm not against that, you know, sharing it with like 10 people, that's going to, cut a lot of pay from yeah the yeah. the company but you know two or three people i think that's fair but cutting that completely out is just like you're gonna lose people i think uh or maybe not i feel like we actually thought that too didn't we when we um, did yeah and then suddenly there were just a bunch of subscribers to netflix and Six i was million. like oh you gotta be yep. kidding me but yeah I, i'm sure you have similar thoughts on this but
0: i do um i mean when you think about it And any really streaming platform out there, you know, you only have a set amount of users on that one account. Mm -hmm. So in theory, you really can't share it with so many people unless you would like, you really don't care, you know, all the continue watching craziness that's going to go on. But yeah, I have the Disney plus uh, bundle, or I guess the trio bundle with ESPN, Hulu and Disney plus. And I share that with our parents and that's virtually about it. So I kind of agree with your point. Like, I feel like there's maybe like one or two people that you can share it with in addition to your own usage. Um, And if you want to like crack down on like how many IP addresses can be used at once, then that's one thing. But to actually go about it like Netflix is doing, that's really frustrating. And the fact that, which I know you, you hinted towards it, the fact that they're raising their prices legitimately makes me want to cancel my subscription. Because for me, it's going to be well over, well, it's going to be over $26 when it's all said and done after taxes and such. And I'm just like, that is an absolute insane amount of money to be spending on streaming services. That's like Apple one almost.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> with those, um, out, like you were mentioning with those prices, the Trio premium, the Disney and Hulu with no ads plus ESPN, that's the one that you got, right? Yes. I have the
0: Trio premium with no ads. Yep. Okay.
1: So, yeah, that is from it was 20, now it's 25, but obviously with tax that'll be like 26 like you were saying. Yep. Disney without ads went from 10.99 to 13.99. So that's a $3 increase there. The Hulu without ads went from 14.99 to 17.99. So there's another $3. And I think all the ones that do have ads haven't changed. Is that right? Yes. the All, all the ones okay. with ads have had no change um, as far as I'm aware. Oh, no. ESPN with ads, which I think is normal, uh, went up a dollar. Uh, so pretty much everything went up uh, either one to three dollars. Hulu with uh, live TV with ads went from 70 to 77 and live TV with Hulu went from and this without ads went from 83 to 90 Yeah,
0: that is absolutely insane
1: (laughs) exactly and you have to imagine as well if it was just this that you have it may not be a huge issue but if you have multiple streaming services and they've added like a lot of extra onto the plan in terms of like uh, increasing the rates that's a lot each month so far, so like like, let's say you have Disney, you have Netflix, and then what, what's another one that just increased recently? Spotify. Um, that's not exactly a video streaming; it's still a streaming service. Right? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's like a two dollars, I think, was an increase, and then. You know, Hulu or, and the ESPN will say you get the bundle. That's three. And then Netflix, I think was two or three. So all in all, that's like eight bucks extra each month. If you're spending on all of those, and that's not even including any other streaming services that you might have. Exactly. Um, it adds up at the end of the month. A lot of that does. And it's just, I get it. Obviously inflation and all that kind of stuff, but like, I, I feel like this is just adding way too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point because I know that. People who are listening are probably thinking, well, I don't really know anybody or even use more than one streaming service myself. That may be true, but believe me, I do know people that have more than one streaming service. I myself have more than one streaming service. Yeah, me too. So it is absolutely crazy to think about all the inflation that's going across multiple streaming platforms, both video and audio. Uh, And at the end of the month, you're like, what the heck am I paying for? And I really don't think I can keep on doing this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really, that's a really good point right there. And and on top of that, you add all the password crackdown sharing thing that's going on. And eventually we expect that to, you know, transition over to more and more streaming services. It's just becoming way exactly. too chaotic. It is. And like I said, this realistically makes me think, okay, I'm about ready to just cancel the whole entire thing because I cannot keep on doing this. It's absolute madness. So... Um, obviously I'll probably reevaluate my budget and everything like that for the month or for each month and kind of see where that lands. But um, you know, and that's the thing you, you actually made this really good point, which is going to make me really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we were, we were, we go to Taco Bell every once in a while and I just kind of look that. at some of the options they have. You know, there you go. And <laughs> you know, some of the add-ons and you kind of think, okay, 99 cents here, a dollar 50 here, 79 yeah. there. And eventually it starts to add up. And every time you go to the restaurant, you get all those add-ons or requests. And it kind of does put a dent in your, you know, your budget and, you know, your bank account. So you you transition that over to streaming and it's pretty much the same thing. If you're not paying attention, you can easily, you know, spend more than you're making and it becomes detrimental. So,
1: yeah, 100% agree right there. It's just... I honestly have no really other thoughts about it. Just,
0: well, I mean, that's the thing is because we've already gone through this so many times. And now once again, another streaming service is joining in on the madness. And it's just like, what else can you possibly say? So we did truly try to keep our thoughts to a minimum just because we know this is nothing new, but uh, I guess the good side is, is even though the prices are increasing right now, like you were saying, and like we've seen from, from the CEO, uh, this is not expected to happen right away. It should be sometime around 2025, at least from what we expect. So,
1: yeah, the the password sharing is the prices will actually start, I think, on October 2nd.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that, yeah, that's thought that's, that's what it said was October. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, zoom, zoom, moving right along, we are going to transition over to some cars. This one is actually Mazda. So, for those who don't own a Mazda, most of their models if not all of them, depending on what model year you have, especially the newer ones, don't actually have touchscreen functionality, uh, especially when you're, you know, moving the car. When it's in park, you can use the touchscreen, but after that, it switches over to the command knob, I believe is what they call it. Yeah. So the, I know it sounds stupid. It is. The 2024... Uh, Mazda CX-5 is actually expected to get touchscreen functionality with smartphone integration. And actually, to clarify that, they already have smartphone integration. It's just you can actually use smartphone integration with the touchscreen while you're driving, at least what's been indicated here. I found this crazy because I feel like this should have already been a thing. Yeah. (laughs) But I understand where Mazda's coming from. It's supposed to help with less distractions. And I actually, I actually spoke with a car sales woman, uh, that I know from New York. And she even said that, you know, I, I use the command knob and it's not that crazy. And I prefer it that way. I can see where she's coming from, but at the same time, smartphone integration, those, you know, layouts and that platform isn't really designed to be used with a control knob. It's meant to be used with a touch. Exactly. So yes. Uh I'm actually glad that Mazda's kind of transitioning over to this and I'm hoping that they'll obviously expand that to the rest of their portfolio uh with the rest of their models. But um I'm not really sure if you have any other additional input on that just because I know you don't even own own a Mazda, but from a theoretical standpoint.
1: I don't even own a car that's it. past two thousand and three. Um there you go. Yeah, I it's it's like having a, if nothing phone came out with a phone that didn't have Bluetooth on it just yet. <laughs> it's and, and again, I understand, I agree with you right there, but you also have to understand that these displays like CarPlay and uh, Android Auto don't have a whole lot of apps that are meant to be distracting anyway. Like what? There's maps, exactly, music, texting, calendar, voice activation. Yeah, but- that's pretty much it. And drivers should be responsible in not you know, touching it all the time, messing with it while they're driving. Um, and I'm sure Apple already has, uh, you know, regulations and stuff like that. Uh, you know, terms of agreements, auto, Android Android as well, I'm sure.
0: Protective policies for
1: themselves. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So all that's in place and, you know, you uh, reap what you sow. You, if you make a bad decision, then you pay the consequences. But yeah, I, I think... It's it is weird that a car company finally comes out with a touchscreen. Like when did when did touchscreen come out for a car like 2014, 2015, something like that?
0: Uh, let's see. Well, I have a 2013 Camry, so I think I definitely know at least uh, the 2012 Camry had it. I'm sure probably luxury cars had them around the 2000s era
1: hmm yeah
0: it's hard to say but i mean they, yeah you, the, the whole point is, is they've been around for a while so the fact that exactly you know maz is kind of getting on the kick and saying okay let's actually give some touch screen to our users while they're driving at least with you know carplay and android auto mm-hmm. that works uh if you want to get outside the system and go into the actual car settings then that's still on the control knob exactly but we have some more crazy news from uh car manufacturers is that not correct <laughs> Yeah, this again has to do with the Android Auto, um,
1: but this time it is not... Uh, we, we've actually discussed this before uh, to a certain length. Correct. Yes, we have. The Cadillac Escalade IQ is not going to have Android Auto like we've mentioned. And this car is $130,000. So it's, it is a luxury yep. car. And it's got all the bells and whistles stuff. I think, J.D., you uh, watched a video... On the certain specs, the interior, the outside, and everything like that. I hadn't actually watched that yet. Yes. And uh, from what you've said, it's, like, amazing. And it looks looks really cool, runs amazingly, runs really well. All the good stuff. And this thing does not have Android Auto. Uh, for those of you who don't know, yeah. the entire idea behind this that GM wanted to do was basically have their own personal um, sort of subscription-based type thing. Uh, that Absolutely. way, yeah. yeah. So that way, pe- that way, they wouldn't have to constantly pay for that themselves. So instead, they're like, "You do it." Uh to put it into uh, words from Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah, and it's I, I, I thought about this. I was like, you know, people can afford that if they're paying on a thirty thousand dollar car, but at the same time, and I think you mentioned this, it's annoying that you have to do that when it should already just be like. A car that's like $15,000 already has Android Auto in it. Why do I have to pay another $133 a month just to have that in there? I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a slap
0: in the face towards the, uh, you know, the buyer, but yeah. And I think the other key thing to remember is that even though this is like a luxury model, uh, GM has to keep in mind that, you know, like you were saying, there's going to be some other models out there that are like, well, maybe not 15,000, but maybe, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 that are going to appeal to more of the general public. Right. So they're not going to be able to pay that monthly subscription. And it's kind of, it's a, it's a major turnoff. And I, I get the whole entire idea behind, you know, you want to create your own platform for developers to, you know, pay you and have that Apple fee. But I just don't feel like that's the right way to go about it. And Agreed. so there, there's a lot of different angles that you could come at this, you know, whether GM is trying to save money from having to pay, you know, Google or Apple for the use of Android Auto or CarPlay to trying to create their own, you know, in-service platform. It's just, I don't even understand yeah. why they would think that this would be appealing to consumers. So you kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this from a, a mainstream perspective. Uh, Cause like you had a good point, you know, if if you can afford to pay $130,000 for an Escalade, then yeah, you probably don't really care about a monthly subscription. But again, like I said, it's, it goes back to people who aren't that well off, I guess. So yeah,
1: exactly. It just feels like it should be something. It, it's like you're almost being taxed for being rich. <laughs>
0: Right. And then the main, you know what it reminds me of, it actually reminds me of, uh, we're originally from New York. So the whole entire thing is that the taxes are so high in New York because of all that stuff that goes down in like New York City and that region. Mm -hmm. And so the upstate people have to pay that exact same tax because of that craziness. So the luxury people probably can afford it, but the average people can't. So it's really totally haywire and unbalanced. And you're not even getting a good deal out of it for being taxed for being rich. You're getting you're not getting <laughs> exactly. auto. It's like so. Right, this is something I'm used. To. And and just to clarify here for our listeners, I understand that for some people smartphone integration isn't the, you know, bee's knees. But we actually did on the article we read this from, they actually had a poll on there. Yes. And even yep. though not a whole lot of people did vote, I think it was like maybe around 2 250, which is Pretty low, so you might get like a specific demographic in that. But eighty-seven um, percent said they would not buy a vehicle if it didn't have smartphone integration, or specifically Android Auto. So, I mean, you can tell there's definitely a good number of people that are like, "No, this actually matters to me." So,
1: yes, one hundred percent agree there.
0: Uh, but on that point, we'll move on to actually YouTube. So, a different platform there there for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I evidently they're going to roll out this. I don't know, Riley. Would you actually call this a feature, or <laughs> yes? <laughs> More of a I wouldn't a say limitation. I guess it depends on how you look at it. I suppose.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a main feature. I'd say it's like an added uh, minor one. Uh, so,
0: well, well, evidently, this is supposed to be coming in you know future weeks or potentially months. Although some people are actually already seeing it, but if you disable your history on your YouTube account and there's not enough um videos in the past that you've watched youtube is basically going to not recommend any videos to you mhm yeah i i i kind of see where you, you google, google, i kind of see where google is coming from because they're like well some people don't like recommendations okay that's fine but do i have to enable history to do that because all this time you guys have been making recommendations and i've there's been times when i've had my history turned off so or I've, I've started new ones and I've had my history turned off as well. And you guys have still given me recommendations without me having had that enabled. So I really yeah. don't quite get that part. Um, I get, I, I kind of wish there was just a simple switch that said, do I want recommendations or no? And just leave the history out of it.
1: Well, see, I actually kind of on the other side of this, I feel like this is a good thing. Um, I feel like what okay. they should have done is because I think what they're trying to do is allow either the algorithm or AI might be one of both, or more of both, I don't know, to you, utilize your search history and say, okay, you've looked at these videos, you might like these ones. Which I feel like that's what they did more, but maybe by using their history a lot more, you can actually do that. Um, what I don't like is the fact that you have to turn on for this to be enabled. Like, I kind of agree with you in that sense. Yeah. So, it's, it is it, it, it is kind of hassle. I mean, honestly, if you really, it's not a huge turnoff for me. Like, I don't really have, I'm not... Bad about it or good about it? I'm just more of like in the middle of like, you know, I have to turn back on my history if I've kept it off this whole time or whatever. I mean, it's it's not really an inconvenience is what I'll is what I'll say. So
0: yeah, I, I guess it's just the whole point of you know, do I want actually some? <laughs> and people are going to kind of analyze this and think, okay, well, what are you trying to hide? It's just basically I I don't want somebody tracking history or have, having some, having some sort of visual tracking to it. You know, if they go, into I get my that, account. yeah. Um, right, and that's just personal privacy. It has nothing to do with what I'm viewing. It's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that point to it, and I like like we're kind of both saying it's just I don't feel like that's the way to approach it. It's kind of funny how a lot of this controversy has to do with how people approach it and how companies kind of have certain angles, and it rubs consumers the wrong way in some scenarios. Agreed. Yeah, but yeah, so I can I can see where you're coming from. I don't really think that this is like the worst thing in the world but it's just, it's kind of a funky thing to come across. So
1: I think they could have at least made it to where you can keep your search history off, but YouTube can recognize the videos that you've watched and then integrate that into your recommendations without
0: having your search Right, because let's face it, I think Google's already doing that anyway, regardless of whether you have history turned on or not. I mean, they have so much data on us. Right. I think the history is just more for our sake versus actually their algorithm and, you know, how they dictate... What the recommendations are. So, right. But in either case, I, I kind of feel like we're kind of landing on the same opinion in certain respects. So, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But we have some more carrier news. Is that right? That is correct. So, for
1: the last, I don't know if you know this, JD, maybe four, five, six years, T Mobile has been on top uh, in terms of having dominance in the uh, service world. And, uh, just recently Verizon is really starting to get back, uh, to that first place. I, I wouldn't say like they're on it now, but they're getting there. Reese just, just recently Verizon has, I guess, upgraded their, um, bandwidth a lot better so for example there have been people that have seen a major boost in performance in regards to their speeds mm. uh, like for example 100 plus 60 uh, this one guy said uh, seeing 100 megahertz and 160 megahertz and down speeds of up to one gigabyte over 5g and parts of vegas uh, other people are also seeing major jumps as well uh now for those okay. of you who don't know verizon uses c bands which can usually get to between four and eight gigahertz while a uh, t-mobile they don't they don't need c bands because uh they made purchase off of sprint that already got 2.5 gigahertz of a uh, bandwidth, uh and that's what's made them on top as of late but this apparently from what they've done they just massively um overran their speeds a lot and uh most people are mentioning. Obviously, JD and I, like we've discussed, we don't have Verizon, so we can't really say much about this. But it looks like Verizon might give T-Mobile a run for their money in the next year or two if they really keep ramping up their speeds. I don't know if you think the same way, JD, but that's kind of how I'm visualizing it.
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I guess it just kind of depends on how T-Mobile is going to progress as well. So I would kind of put it into perspective of Intel versus like the Apple M series. <laughs> And somehow Intel did something majorly to improve and kind of get back on track with what Apple is doing with their processors, or at least, you know, what their benchmarks are in speeds. Obviously we know that's a long shot, at least as of now, but that's kind of what I would think. So it's kind of like Verizon, even though they've been big red, big dog for a long time, very reliable, and they have a wide customer base, you know, across the States, um, as far as the 5G is concerned, yeah, I feel like T-Mobile has definitely made some improvements over the past, you know, few years. I think you said five, but I, I can kind of see how that transitioned, because that's when I actually started switching from, well, let's see, we were on, I was on Verizon, I switched over to AT&T, and then I went to uh, T-Mobile. So, and that's yeah. kind of when I started to notice that T-Mobile was actually getting more and more reliable, and mm-hmm. obviously... 5g is still fairly new and they've been making their advancements but i think it's impressive that verizon is you know taking those steps to kind of get back into the game uh which is really surprising i don't know about you but that's really surprising for me to say that the verizon is trying to get back in the game i, mean, I, I think know that's right purely in the 5g area yes I think that's the what the West, article suggests you know a lot of people are still following big red and and relying on them for cell service and such so
1: i, I did just want to mention this one quick thing when, when i was reading the article all of the ads were
0: T-Mobile. <laughs> oh, that would probably make sense because uh, I'm sure the ads are probably uh, an algorithm towards your viewing. So since you are a T-Mobile customer, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I figured it's that much. It's just still kind of ironic. <laughs> it's, it,
0: it is ironic though. Yes, I can see. Really but, uh, <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. But jumping back to another car manufacturer, I'm kind of curious, Riley, uh, I know you're not really keen on car manufacturers and models and comparisons, um, at least to the point where I am. And I'm not even all the way there.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, 100 percent agree.
0: That said, do you think it would be advantageous for Toyota to jump in on a unibody truck design and kind of compete with the ford maverick and the hyundai santa cruz and if they do it looks like they're going to place it on the um, platform of a corolla or specifically a corolla cross okay i
1: mean just from the look of it and maybe this is just because i'm a noob so i might be giving maybe there is no wrong or right answer i don't know i would definitely be into this um, just from face value, I haven't read anything about the article, obviously. Right. But just looking at it, I'd say if it's going to be like a Corolla Cross or whatever, then yeah, I, I think that'd be super cool in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, actually there's an, I think there's another one in there too, that we forget about, even though actually it's a really popular one is the, uh, Honda Ridgeline. So that's also another mm-hmm. I believe, unibody type design that they've made into sort of a truck like build. The important thing to um, keep in mind is that this is just rumors, so it sounds like Toyota might be doing this. And as far as announcements, that means that this may not actually come into play until possibly 2027. Right. Yeah. And I think that I think the idea is cool to kind of yeah, p- pl- place absolutely. it on a smaller and that, that, that's actually what Hyundai did, although it's kind of a funky because because here's here's the thing. So you have the RAV4. RAV4 is a compact. Correct. And then you jump down into the sedan, which is a Camry, and that is a midsize. I believe the Corolla is a compact. hmm So, and then the Corolla Cross is like subcompact. I believe that's what they've labeled it as. So you have the subcompact SUV that you're going to merge into some sort of unibody truck. Okay. Yeah. The interesting thing about what Hyundai did is that their subcompact is the Venue, but their compact SUV is the Tucson, and the Tucson yes. is actually where the Santa Cruz emerged from. Okay. And I feel like that was a really nice vehicle, and I feel like they did a good job on the design and everything like that. I feel like that was the best model they could choose to merge into, hey, let's make this a unibody truck. Right. Um, But- Toyota is going a different route, and they're going to try and do it with a Corolla Cross, evidently, from what we're understanding. I would have personally liked to see it done with a RAV4. Yes. Because I feel like the Corolla Cross has more curvatures, and it's not as rugged, I would say, even though from the mock-ups it kind of looks like it is. But the RAV4 has that mean, really mean grill, even even more so than than the curl across. Well
1: see so even from the mock-ups, the front looks like a like a RAV4. <laughs> it
0: so kind of yeah, because like you can have that you have that mean frumpy grill.
1: Yeah, and then you got those uh two uh top bars you normally have on RAV4. So to me when someone looks at this without even looking at the name they're probably thinking oh this this would be a RAV4 in a truck crossover but no it's a Corolla. So yeah, I again it doesn't look bad like I said at the beginning when it, from no, a, from a it first like glance the mock up yep. looks just fine um but now that you mention it yeah I I do think a RAV4 would actually match a lot better uh in terms of look, style Yeah, I, th- um, I think it has
0: more grit to it which I don't think you can technically say that about the Tucson. The Tucson is just very futuristic. I love the Tucson, at least the design of it. Yeah. Um, Ford Maverick. I mean, that that just has the basic Ford design, so I can't really say anything negative or positive about it. So yeah, uh, as far as unibody trucks, the downside is, is as you can tell, the bed is not that big because it is on a smaller you know platform.
1: And JD and I went lot crawling recently and uh, we came across a truck that actually had a very short bed, but looked like a modern car.
0: Was that the last one where we're looking at those EVs that you really like? Yes.
1: Liked? Yes. It was one of those. Okay.
0: So that was the Santa Cruz. Oh, okay. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Yep. That bed is actually short. Kind of like this one. It is very short. Yeah, because you, uh, you actually, that's right. You opened up the tonneau cup I did. in the back, yep, right? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yes. Okay. So yeah, that that's the Santa Cruz. And like I said, that's really cool vehicle and I like it. And it's got the second row and everything like that. Obviously, the interior number are a little bit smaller because they had to make room for the bed. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just a question of, and I'm kind of curious how other people look at this when they're trying to buy a, I can't say hybrid because that has to do with gas and electric. But when I'm looking at this, this is kind of like a hybrid between a truck and a crossover. It is. Cross truck, I guess is what you'd call it. I don't know. The weird- and So I'm kind of looking at the practicality and like, okay, so yeah, I think this is great if you're going to throw like maybe a couple suitcases and stuff in the back and you kind of want an, an open back end. Maybe things are too big and you prefer not to have a cover. I don't know. It's just for me, I'm trying to look at the pra- practicality. And I guess some people actually do because obviously we see a whole bunch of Santa Cruz's out there and Ridge Lines and... And Mavericks. So I'm sure we could probably break this down even further, but unfortunately, we just don't have enough information on it right now. It's right. just more so the question of, you know, would it be advantageous for Toyota to jump into this market? Because I don't know how competitive it is. I mean, I know the Ridgeline is really popular and it's it's been popular for a while. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of curious, would you actually consider buying something like this, Riley, if you were trying to find something that was semi-family friendly but had some, you know, rigidity to it and had a, it had open back end
1: <laughs> I, I was just thinking actually my wife would probably be in a negotiable uh mindset about this because i always said like it'd be cool if we get a truck like a really nice one she says no we're not going to get a truck we're going to get an suv or a normal car i think this would actually be a great agreement between the both of us uh so yeah I, i if i had the money i think that would i would definitely get it especially considering corolla was my first car that i drove it was our dad's and i wrecked it not by my own fault, uh, of the record sand. Um, but I loved I love Corollas. They're just they're really nice fits. The they look really great. The their fuel economy is excellent. I mean, yeah, uh, a car. And I don't want to go uh, like off on a tangent here, but uh, like a Corolla from 2006 costs like six thousand dollars right now, which is kind of crazy if you really think about it. And they uh, they really work well. And so to get this with a truck. Uh, combination is uh, yeah I, to give you my final answer yeah
0: I, I really would yeah it's kind of cool design like we said so mm-hmm. um, obviously we'll have to wait and see how this turns out because you know this is just rumors and again we won't probably hear anything or at least see anything on the production line until 2027 right. uh, we might have some announcements between now and then but in either case, that will just about wrap it up for this week's debatable. Uh, we did have a wide range of topics coming across between carriers, mm-hmm. car manufacturers, court cases. Streaming services. Lots of fun. So oh, yeah, we certainly hope you guys enjoyed it. And we will be back on Wednesday for a regular newscast episode. This is JD and Riley signing off. Peace out.